If you're someone who has a passion for cut flowers, our environment, and wants to make the world more beautiful, you're in the right place. Whether you're growing flowers for pleasure or profit, I'm on a mission to empower flower enthusiasts and professionals to help change the world around them. Whether you're just starting out and need a helping hand, or are looking to scale a substantial flower business, I'm your cut flower woman. Welcome to the Cut Flower Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a wonderful guest, Alice Vincent. Alice will tell you all about herself in a minute. So I'm very excited about today's podcast. So Alice, tell us a little bit about you, you know, where you are now, how you got to your journey, just to give us some background about you. Sure. Hi, Roz. Well, thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. Um, I'm a writer, ostensibly, uh, who happens to garden. And I have spent the last 15 years mostly as an arts journalist. I spent a long time as a music journalist. I was, uh, the bulk of my career was spent um, in-house at the Telegraph. And then in the last few years, I've been working all over the place. Um, And I've written about gardening as well. And one of the ways that I understand the world is by researching it and writing about it. So when I, in my mid-20s, sort of fell kind of surprisingly in love with gardening um, in a way that like all good love affairs snuck up on me without really expecting it. It was instinctive to me to go out and talk to people from Columbia Road flower market sellers to uh, house plant innovators um, and small space flower farmers and write about it. And in the process, um, my curiosity as to why we go to the ground um, and write about that deepened as well. So I've had gardening columns at The Telegraph, at The New Statesman. I'm currently a gardening columnist for The Guardian and Gardens Illustrated. Um, but more broadly than that, I write books as well. So the latest one is Why Women Grow, Stories of Soil, Sisterhood and Survival. And a few years ago, I released Rootbound, which was sort of my origin story into gardening but blended with the phenomenon of why people go to the ground at times of trauma and fittingly that came out a few weeks just before the pandemic when we all started gardening maniacally. (laughs) (laughs) Seven million of us apparently started gardening in uh, in Covid. So tell us why do women grow? What, What is it about going outside? You know when I launched my first Seed to Vars course it was during Covid And then at the end of that first year, I wrote a book about their journeys in COVID. And it was all about, it was quite humbling, actually, about what people got out of gardening. It was their experiences, Mm. not mine. And it was the first time I'd ever realised, I suppose, what gardening was about, really. Of course, I realised it was happiness and joy, and I'd done it for many, many years, and I did it commercially. But I didn't really realise that it combated loneliness and depression and anxiety and bereavement and, 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 and. So what did you discover in writing the book about why women grow? I mean, I think the you summed it up there. I, While you were writing that book, um, I was I spent 14 months between the summer of 2020 and the kind of the dredge, the end of 2021, um, speaking to women in their gardens. I spoke to 45 of them, everyone from rehabilitating prisoners and 
Kazakhstani refugees to octogenarians with gardens they've looked after for 40 years, uh, you know, to 22-year-old drag kings who became market gardeners, a huge breadth of people. And two things I would say that for me certainly recurred a lot was space and control. And those are two things that as women, uh, we are constantly by society told to take less of. You know, we're co- society constantly wants us to be smaller, to take up less space, you know, not to push into those slightly awkward places, not to be as loud, not to be as opinionated. We're constantly rid of certain kinds of control. I mean, I wish it wasn't the case, but this book is coming out at a time when our reproductive rights are being hampered the world over. But more broadly than that, I had conversations about motherhood, about, and that went everything from baby loss to fertility struggles to actively not wanting children and gardening instead, uh, to really heady political identity reasons, you know, gardening as a reclamation, um, gardening as a means of uh, taking on huge council initiatives in the middle of London who want to build high rises at the expense of public space. So in short, they have a lot of reasons to grow. But all of them are so deeply felt and a lot of and I was constantly astonished by the depth of of what the conversations were. I thought it was just going to we were going to turn up and talk a bit about people's gardens. And like these conversations are some of the most intimate things I've ever experienced. Yeah, I think it's about and also it's about encouraging women to grow. Like you, you sort of got involved in gardening in your 20s, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, getting people involved in their 20s. I mean, Instagram has definitely helped that to get a younger population. <laughs> but my daughters are in their early 20s and I can't think of anything less yeah. they'd like to do. So, and they both live in London. So it's, you know, how do you encourage a younger generation to do it for all the reasons that we know it's good for you? I think one thing is that you have to find it for yourself. So I was, um, I was catching up with one of the women from the book, actually, who's become a dear friend and she's in her 80s. Um, and she was saying, that one of her neighbours was like, will you come and help me with my garden? And she was like, I can tell you what to do, but I can't make you love it. And I think one thing that occurred in all the conversations is that you would learn how people came to gardening. And for some people that was where it started when they were really young and some it was a midlife thing and some it was anywhere else in between. Um, I do think it's different for everyone. I think there'll always be those people who, you know, you get a garden in your 30s and you have a baby and then it all kind of comes together. But I think it's changing. As you say, social media has changed it. But also, I think millennials and and Gen Z, who, you know, your daughters presumably fit into, um, gardening is so inherently tied to the climate catastrophe that we are in the midst of that it offers a way of engaging with the land that we have been so wrenched from. And Rootbound, which is my previous book, dealt quite a lot with this. It was asking why are millennials this gen- this uh, bucking the trend in being this generation that are going to ground and are becoming fascinated with houseplants and want to connect with the earth. And I think it's because we've grown up with having immediacy around us at all times. We can order a date or a takeaway or a cab with a swipe of a button, but you cannot rush gardening. And that's very, very soothing when you feel very overwhelmed. So I think it will, I think maybe younger people will start to do it more, even if land access, as in the case of your daughters, is not there. 
but that's a huge problem. Land access is a huge problem. Um, getting somewhere to grow, understanding how community gardens work. Um, and beyond that, I think we just need to present different voices and different representations of gardening. It's not all rose pruning <laughs> and cute little trugs and beautiful lawns, right? There's a lot no. of like good meaty stuff in gardening. Yeah, it's, it's none of that, actually, mostly. I mean, it's right. as I was going out and covering my, I've, I've got 2,800 dahlias arrived last week and, and I was worried about the weather last night. They're undercover, but I thought it's not warm enough. So as we moved them by a yeah. little dumper truck we had, we moved them and then we covered them with fleece. And then I put a heater in there and at 11 o'clock and going out to check them. That's gardening as well. It's kind of like yeah. they're my babies. They're sitting there waiting to produce this summer and they need to be looked after. So it's kind of, yeah, yeah gardening's quite deep, actually, a lot deeper than you think it's going to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think actually giving people the opportunity to think on that, which you've obviously done with your work and and the book hopefully is encouraging people who are reading it to think on that as well um it's about shaking up that notion that kind of very stiff rhs chelsea <laughs> david austin catalogue which landed so on my this morning and i was like there you go and i'm like beautiful stick it on the coffee table i'll have a look at it at some point but for me that's not what my garden looks like and that's not what my understanding of gardening looks like no. No, no, no. It's not the gingham dress and the truck, like you say, and the skipping to lovely music. No, yeah. <laughs> definitely not. If you saw me in my garden, it's more like dungarees, a hat and a pair of gloves. It's not. Sounds very practical. Very practical. So <laughs> tell us about your current business then. You've got, how many books have you got then, Alice? Which books have you got rooted? So yeah, so yeah, there's Rootbound, Why Women Grow. There's a strange, uh, very lockdown-y audio book that I wrote and recorded in lockdown called Seeds from Scratch, which kind of is a meditative guide through to seeding. And then there was my first book, which was released five years ago, just called How to Grow Stuff. And it's a very kind of practical beginner's guide written while I was still gardening on a balcony. So I spent six years gardening on balconies in South London. And then I got a garden also in South London um, about two and a half years ago. So... I'm a self-taught urban gardener. Um, my business is very much as a writer and I happen to write a lot about gardening, but also quite a lot about other things. I think the things that fascinate me are the, the kind of overlooked corners of life. So all the stuff that we don't pay attention to, but tells us more about who we are. Um, and so I spend my days sort of sitting around writing things and then not going to the garden as much as I should, which is a curse of all people, I think, professionally involved in gardening. Yeah. <laughs> the people just think that we spend all our times in the garden not really the case um and i have a podcast called why women grow as well yeah it's brilliant yeah absolutely brilliant well recommended it's like me I, I built a pond a couple of years ago on the bottom of the land thinking i would do it sort of a little nature reserve and that'd be lovely and more so you know i had some branches and I had hedgehogs get in and it was all created very lovely and my dream was to sit once a day when i walk the dog because i have to pass it without fail to sit there and contemplate, have I ever once done it? Once <laughs> done it? Yeah. No. So I have a yeah. dream of doing it. And now I'm thinking, well, I'm just going to put a seat there around a tree and that is going to be my place. Maybe that's a place for writing. But it's kind of, if you if you could just sit there and watch for even 10 minutes, that would be worth it. But it's like you, you sometimes you just get so engrossed with, what, with writing that you're not going outside to even see what's happening. So, yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's so interesting you bring that up. As- there's a bit in, um, number one, I can hard relate, and we are, in theory, landscaping the garden 
pretty soon actually and part of the reason to do that is because I'm creating somewhere to sit you know one thing about happens when you have you know this garden is amazing to have access to land in Brixton is great but um you know I spent so much time worrying about plants I didn't actually really make a place to sit and I'm making one to sit um but my mum said the same thing and I remember writing it into Why Women Grow because I went back to that childhood garden which they've since moved away from trying to trace uh my gardening legacy really and I remember her saying I just want to go to the bottom of a garden and sit in it and I don't think she ever did that <laughs> I think she was too busy you know she made beautiful things happen but she didn't go and sit at the bottom of that garden and I think that's a constant tussle isn't it it's how do we engage with that space and also find the time for ourselves in it Definitely, definitely. And, and I suppose it becomes a habit that if you just go out for 10 minutes a day and sit there. I had this thing that I was going to take a photo from the pond across the fields because it's out into open field to take a photograph on the first of every month. And so I would have to sit there to think about it. And then the first of every month, when we, you would see all the seasons were changing and how beautiful is mm. that. And you bring it all around to the end of the year. So maybe from today, Alice, I'm going to convince myself that I'm going to spend 10 <laughs> minutes out there and sit there. I would love that. I think you should do it. I think also remove the determination to make it the first day of every month because it's so easy to be like, oh, well, I've missed the yeah. first. So I'll just suck it off now. I think there's like one photo a month at some yeah, point. Yeah, that's true. We'd do, you know. Same place and then add yeah. it all together would be quite fun. I'm going to start that today. Yeah, it'd be awesome. Let's start that today. Great. That's, that's I love that. I'm glad we've resolved this. <laughs> so tell me about a couple of people that you did interview that inspired you. I mean, I find some mm. of the, the people you've interviewed quite amazing that how they got involved they must have been it must have all been quite humbling oh yeah I mean enormously so like you know essentially you're kind of I was emailing people all of the women with the exception of one or two were were strangers yeah um so emailing these people imagine you're just mind your business out of the blue you get an email from someone that you may or may not have heard of and they say hi can I come and interview you about your relationship with the earth I think maybe it could be a book, but I'm not sure yet. And uh, I will travel to wherever you want to go. Oh, by the way, we're in the middle of a yes. pandemic. <laughs> you know, like, it, it, it was quite a flex. And yet I only had one woman say no. And she said no, who I did know. And she, she sent the most eloquent, beautiful email as to why she didn't want to do it, which I'm not going to divulge. But everyone was so generous. Um, roles they really were and so in you know I'm answering questions I spoke to 45 women I could have included all of their stories the book would have been considerably longer than it is um and I so about sort of 20 ish um have made it into the book and um I'll tell you a story of a woman called Hannah who's a couple of years younger than me so she's in her early 30s and she lives in Dewsbury in Yorkshire and she works for a mental health charity up there it's an incredibly deprived area um when I met her in uh it was around this time of year actually it was it was the spring equinox as um so we were right on the cusp between uh, winter and spring and very much enough out of the pandemic to be able to get on a train for work reasons but still so much in the pandemic that she was trying to offer mental health care and support to people remotely via their phones because people didn't have the internet because they couldn't afford it so it you know 
in this very kind of post-industrial landscape up in Yorkshire and Hannah has what she calls a yarden um, and she wanted to meet at a park called Oakwell Hall which is near her um, on the outskirts of Leeds um, and Dewsbury and I had got in touch with Hannah because I thought it was really important to navigate the understanding of gardening and motherhood and nurturing there's all these kind of very hackneyed associations that women nurture because they're nurturing as women as mothers um and that's why they want to nurture the ground and I was like well that that seems a little uh too simple for me and so Hannah um at the time had been trying to have a baby for six years um and we spoke about that but we spoke about a lot of other things besides and one of the things that she liked to grow one of the huge changes that she'd made in her life is to move out of the flat um and move into this space with her yard and, and she filled it with sunflowers wow. and I said to her yeah amazing and I was she had no gardening experience she did it all in pots and I was like well why sunflowers and she said that they reminded her of herself she said that they're resilient and they're strong and they're beautiful and even and we got sideways rain coming through this concrete yard they stand up and she said that you know she grew all these different varieties of them and when the season had ended she didn't cut them down she just left them there and then the birds came yeah. and she was like I just couldn't get rid of I couldn't get rid of them like they just had to stand there I feel like they have to stand up and take on whatever comes at them the same way that I do um and I've never been able, uh, later, a couple of weeks after that, I did sow some sunflowers in my garden as well. And kind of in honour of her, but also just of that strength and that resilience and that completely unabashed, no nonsense, honestly. She had no idea who I was and she agreed to meet me and we spent several hours together. Lovely. Um, yeah. And, 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 and there were so many interactions like that where you know just the the innate intimacy of these conversations with complete strangers um all all in spaces these green spaces that meant a huge deal to them they let you into their lives really I mean that's really what they did yeah um yeah and yeah I, I mean one of my daughters works in addiction is a psychotherapist in addiction right. and um we've talked a lot about gardening and there is an um Amy Winehouse center the other side in in Hackney and she was involved she was there at one point and she was involved in doing gardening there and I got involved there and that was a group of young women between 18 and 23 probably um and in fact you needed to be under 25 to be able to be housed in the Amy Winehouse it was all part of her trust and the one joy they got in COVID was they had this little square and I mean literally a square was putting flowers in pots honestly and growing and it was something they could do and focus on and and it isn't perfect, so they could get rid of all their perfectionist streaks that everything has to be perfect and everything's going to be done on time. No, gardening never is perfect. And I think it was a real learning that they had to do the moment in time. They can't think about tomorrow or yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's just today. Um, so I think there's a lot more um, in gardening than we actually give it credit for. So it's totally, totally, totally it's so exciting. So <laughs> you're not a trained horticulturalist and neither am I. <laughs> I often think, you know, 12 years of flower farming, oh, you're trained to horticulture. The answer is no. The answer is I, I got this piece of land. I was really fortunate. The house was derelict. We had land. I didn't know what to do with it. So, oh, I know. I love chickens. Go on a chicken course, get chickens. Go on a goat course, get goats. Go on a pig course, get pigs. What next? Well, I'm gonna have, what, what about these flower things? I don't know what these flower things do. I didn't know anything. 
went on a half day course and then thought, oh, I wonder if there's anything in this. And sort of dug a bit deeper and 10 years later on five acres, there is quite a lot in it. But I was, I'm definitely not a trained horticulturalist, um, which is interesting. So I, I always try, um, people always, even people who join in my courses say, well, I don't know anything and I'm a beginner and I'm not trained and I don't know, I'm really, really worried about it. And I think actually that's mm. the best position to be in. Mm. Yeah, it's, I mean, I wouldn't know what it's like to be on the other side with loads of knowledge, <laughs> right? Like it's not, I can't really compare. But um, yes, it's something that, I suppose if I had endless hours, maybe I'd go and do a course. Um, I I definitely feel at times that I would benefit from knowing more, obviously. But uh, it's it, and and I've, I tend to seek a lot of guidance from other people who who do have that yeah. training. But I think also, um, and this was summed up by Poppy Akacha, who. Um, is a grower and environmentalist who lives in Totnes and I spoke to her for the Why Women Grow podcast and we went down to Totnes on this incredibly hot day in August her garden is very beautiful and she said that um, you know she did sort of I think she started the RHS course maybe she took an RHS course and she was like it was all about rules yeah and for her so much of her interaction with the land is about what she called the muddle Um, and that muddle of kind of life and death and what turns up and what doesn't and weeds and inverted commas and what you want to plant there and what you don't and one of the things that I have enjoyed as an untrained gardener is being able to learn from other people so the process of interviewing all of those gardeners was really informative but also in like looking more at the land in a more holistic way so I'm able to be like okay well you know I could go and edge that bed it's February the 7th, I could go and prune that rose. Or, you know, or I could just take the the shoulds out of it and the lists out of it. Like I live quite a controlled life. I like to be quite organized. The garden is a space where I really have to train myself to let go and be quite intuitive and respond to what is happening out there. Um, at the moment, I mean, we're a few weeks away from breaking ground on landscaping and all of the bulbs have come up. <laughs> And I've just been, um, which I knew was going to happen, you know, like that was always going to be the case. I'd wanted to do it in October. Life doesn't work out that way. And I've just sat here and I've been thinking, oh, I should just go and cut all of those daffs. I should just cut them and stick them in the table in a vase because that is what I want to do with what the garden is doing. But, you know, two years ago, I would never dream of cutting flowers from the garden because I felt like if it grew then, it would never come back and then I'd have a bear garden. And now I'm like, well, that's kind of what I want to do. I think it allows you to be a bit more intuitive. Um, and I, when I started, I was I was obsessed with learning all the rules. And now I kind of see it as not optional, but as something that doesn't help no, me. No, I mean, I, I've got um, three team members who work on the farm. And they're all RHS trained and they love it and they do RHS2 and they do all the exams and they go to RHS3 and they love it. And I gain knowledge from them, but it's very rule-based, very rule-based, mm. and we change it. So um, so you've got a space there. You're growing in Brixton and you're going to landscape it. Well, yes. How are you going to landscape it? What are you going to do? Stay with us. We'll be right back. A small business. Do reels get you reeling? Is SEO just a three letters put together? Content planning something you know you should be doing, but just never get around to it. 
Do join our Growth Club online. What is it? It's a supportive community. It's all about growing your business. It provides trainings and guest speakers join us every month. Is it time to work on your business and not in it? The link for more information is in the show notes. basically trying to climate proof it which feels very naive as a sentence but um I, I we always I kind of always knew that we'd I'd want to do some hard landscaping out there because it's got the world's most disproportionately large patio um which is in the wrong place and doesn't really serve anything um and you know need to build a garden studio out there because I've got a baby on the way and my writing space has been occupied by the baby uh so those are two main changes but also um last summer it just became apparent that the things I was growing were not are not going to work in the world when we have 40 degree summers and I refuse to water so um so yeah introducing a gravel garden and a dry garden introducing a planting palette that's a bit more responsive to uh I hope to to the conditions and yeah yeah that's about it and a little baby (laughs) yeah doing all of this with a tiny baby Roz I mean what could go wrong what could possibly go wrong when are you due Alice um two weeks today (gasps) wow yeah yeah (laughs) your life is about to change beyond all reason I know I know and I, I had this conversation I went on a people traditionally go on baby moons with the uh with their birth partner and I went on one with my mum and my sister and I remember us sitting there in a restaurant and I was like but we've been so messed around by the council with this landscaping stuff and all that everything has gone so slow and I don't know when to start the work in the garden and they're very practical no-nonsense women they were like well if it's important to you I mean just it's going to be everything's going to be mad so you might as well yeah. um so Talk to me. Talk to me in in a month when yes. uh, when there's a skip and various other things and a gravel delivery and but yeah I don't know I just you know it's to go back to that notion of having somewhere to sit I wanted somewhere to sit yeah um, with the it's baby be more important yeah definitely definitely wow <laughs> I did read about your wedding yeah and even then obviously environmentally and homegrown and cut blooms was was a big part of it. It's really important to you then. Yeah, massively. Yeah, oh, it's always been... Yeah, I mean, I was not... I fully admire anyone who grows their own flowers for their wedding. Props to you, not for me. I got married last uh, last mid-April and um, it was one of those things that actually I just delegated everything like to people I completely trusted. So, you know, could trust the photographer forever, could trust... We we chose somewhere that made seasonal food. So I was like, I don't need to think about the menu. You're just going to dish yeah. it up. Fine. There wasn't much Pinterest going on, shall we say. But um, yes, with the flowers, I always knew they had to be uh, sustainably grown. They had to be British. They had to be seasonal. I didn't even really care what they were. I didn't have a colour scheme. I just knew that for me, it had to be India Hurst of Vervain flowers. And fortunately... Uh, she said yes and I gave her an incredibly open brief which was do what you want this is how much money I've got we we had what we took over a Georgian house in central London and I was like 
just fill the dining room and make us some bouquets. There's a grand piano, have fun. Um, And, and it was, it was great. I'm so glad the only kind of, when, when people ask, oh, what should I do about flowers at the, the main bit of advice I give is just make sure that your photographer takes a lot of photos of them because I was so delirious with the whole thing. I didn't really take it in. So um, India Hobson, who's a fantastic photographer and has shot several flower books as well, really went to town up there. So got the photos. But it was wow. all Narcissus and Fritillaria and Blossom. Um, yeah, it was perfect time of year. Gorgeous. Perfect and gorgeous. It's like the awakening of spring, isn't it, is what you've got in April. Yeah. And um and you're a perfect bride actually to just say to a florist, sustainable eco, do what you want. This is the kind of vision I've got, and not and allow them to, to move within their you you trust them to allow them to do their creativity. Because when we're doing weddings, what we want to do is we want to create something that's best at that time. Yeah, of course. So we don't want to be tied to a particular queen of sweden rose or a, we want a color palette necessarily if that's better for them but more a kind of um this is our style and it's natural and it's elegant and we'd love to produce that isn't that what you like um and we work best with an open brief actually yeah. i mean the thing is you from my perspective even as a gardener as a florist do you know way more you've done way more weddings than i have yeah i've never done a wedding i don't know so I would much rather be like, you're the expert, you do this, um, you know. And then uh, we had a legal, a very, very tiny legal ceremony with two witnesses uh, about 10 days before. And Millie Proust uh, did a bouquet for that. Lovely. And that was, yeah, that was, um, again, I was just like, oh, will you do me a, float, like, a bouquet? And she turned up in the morning before we walked to the registry office. And that was hellebores and some early tulips and narcissus. So yeah, similar, just flowsy and uh, full of the joys of spring. Yeah, that's what it should be. Absolutely should be. I think I think um, people's mindsets are changing. I mean, when I say to people, ninety percent of flowers in the UK are imported, they go, "Yeah, really?" And then they go, "Oh, they come from Holland, don't they?" And you go, "No, no, they come from no. Africa and Colombia and lots of South America and Kenya. Our roses on Valentine's Day come from Kenya." Yeah. And they're shocked because the knowledge isn't there. And the reason the knowledge isn't there is because none of them have to be labelled. And so you can buy them in a supermarket and nobody knows where they come from because they're not labelled. So my big mission in life is to somehow make labelling so people have a choice. Everybody mm. can have a choice then and we, we can choose to be sustainable or not. Right. Um, but at the moment, we can't make a choice because we don't know. And I think, you know, the closest you're going to get is that sort of that British flag you get on. Yeah on bunches which is something but that doesn't actually tell you anything about whether it's been grown in a polytunnel whether it's been grown with a load of artificial light whether it's been grown hydroponically you know um we're getting into supermarket tulip season on instagram and you know flowers have to be accessible for everyone but as you say it's an education thing and one of the statistics that i did fold into why we wrote there's not a lot of statistics because it's a no there are not not a fact book, but one of them is about the carbon footprint of a bouquet, which is akin to taking a flight to France, um, like flying London to Paris. And, you know, standard bouquet of kind of shop bought, go to M&S, pick up a bunch for tenner. Well, you might as well have just taken a flight from London to Paris. That's what the carbon footprint of it is. And, 
you know, I think it's not that people are willfully acting badly. It's the same way that people are like, I'm going to be vegetarian for the planet. So I'm going to buy and eat all of this inorganic tofu that has an enormous carbon footprint. It's just that people don't know. I think if that was made a little more clear. So yeah, all power to you and your labeling. I hope it comes off. (laughs) Stay with us. We'll be right back. The new Plants of Distinction Autumn Catalogue is now available and contains over a thousand different flower and vegetable seeds with over 150 new and exciting varieties added this year alone. Cut flowers in an extensive array of individual colours are a speciality and added to this are many unusual annual and perennial seeds together with the hard to find heritage favourites. So if you're looking for something little different be it choice cutting flowers suitable for both fresh and dried arrangements or cottage garden and container growing varieties, you need look no further. You can download or request a copy of the new autumn catalogue by visiting the website plantsofdistinction.co.uk where an exclusive 30% discount is available to all podcast listeners when ordering seeds by using the discount code CUTFLOWER. 30. That's my it's my big thing and trying to get involved with DEFRA and so on. But yeah. hopefully I leave that as my legacy that all flowers will be labelled and the people will have a choice. It'll but I think the whole carbon footprint thing is becoming a much bigger thing. Having been a flower farmer for 12 years, I can see that it's moving in the right way. It seems that way. Price will drive the market too. And imports are more expensive now. And Brexit has done that. You know, one of the perhaps a good thing to Brexit, one of the only things, it's made flowers more expensive to import, in which case price will drive the market again. And people go, well, I'm not willing to pay that. How about if I buy British because it's cheaper? So there will be some price advantages and maybe that will help. Mm -hmm. But the whole sort of learning and and keep going on about it. Um, Yeah, because I sort of fell into flower farming, but my degree is in environmental chemistry. Right. So I was, and I fell into that because I wanted to be a doctor, but I was a failed medic. I could never have got, I wasn't clever enough. So I ended up doing an environmental science degree. And then you think, well, I did that because I thought it was the only thing I could do. But it was obviously then, even when I was 18, there was something that said, hold on a minute, there's something about this environment. And you can imagine then, it was a long time ago, the environment wasn't anything that anybody talked about. So, um, and it's come kind of full circle. So it's quite interesting to see Ooh, it. That is interesting. And I do think it's a shift in aesthetics as well. I mean, we've been seeing, you'll know this far better than I will, but we've been seeing this shift to a kind of more wild and free, sustainable, like seasonal aesthetic in floristry, you know, for a good five to eight years now. And, and I think a lot of it is about shifting people's understanding. So you don't have roses in November you know you don't have peonies in March like I think if people better understand what you can have it will hopefully start to change but then I don't know I go to work in an office which is full of like every week yes. these completely bonkers lilies and everything else and I'm just like, I'm just like oh the flowers are so lovely and I'm like oh god don't sniff them you'll get don't a load of pesticides in your face like I'm just like mm-hmm, good for you not for me yet we're gonna move on it's <laughs> You've got to know when to pick your battles, I think, sometimes. I know. Just don't smell them. Um, but it's true that no one ever really buys me flowers. I've got some at my book launch last week and they're still on the table. These absolutely beautiful anemones and uh, five five fistfuls of daffs. Yes. Um, all in brown paper. And I was like, people know better than to just get send me a bouquet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, I don't get scent flowers. 
<laughs> Might have a problem with that. So if you weren't writing and growing, what would you do? What did you want to do as a child growing up? I wanted to be a doctor. What did, did you, you? Want I wanted to be um, a book illustrator. Oh, close then. Mm, yeah, I, well, I loved art. And I nearly did art instead of English at that crucial, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, university point. Uh, so I loved art. And I think now I create in the garden and I guess with my work and to a certain extent my Instagram account maybe I don't know yeah yeah um, definitely um but yeah so I don't think I would ever have been an artist though I'm too neurotic to make a living from something like that but uh one thing that I, I always had as a backup plan was to be a plumber it's quite a lot of money in plumbing I grew up in um a series of uh doer uppers shall we say uh, right so very conscious of the uh, the need for for plumbing, uh, and I guess it's a similar sort of. I like novelty. I like meeting people. I like different changes of scene. Um, and also, the other dream uh, job was being an apiarist or a beekeeper. Yeah, okay. so I've always thought, oh, that would be quite fun. Which again is quite outdoorsy, um, connected to the land. So, you know, a few a few other things. Bees, definitely, definitely. I follow Dave Goldston, who's obviously all about bees. Yeah, he's amazing. Really into bees. So, yeah, beekeeper sounds quite good. Yeah, mm. plumber. Yeah, my husband's in construction. There's always need for plumbers. Always need and a plumber. Massive respect to try and come and sort an issue out or sort a problem out or massive respect for plumbers. Yeah. So, um, yeah, either of those two. Yeah. <laughs> Not particularly salubrious or glam. No. Um <laughs> No, but there's actually apparently there's more. I read something about there's more money commercially and stuff that isn't glam. Go the opposite end. Go into rubbish. Go into things that people don't want to do. And and obviously that there's more then than in the what we would perceive to be a much nicer place to be. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. Maybe I'll be a plumber in my next life. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about your podcast. Mm. You mentioned the podcast. Tell us about it. Yeah. So why women grow the podcast? So. Um, Perhaps confusingly, it's not the voices of the women in the book. So essentially, I wrote the book or I researched the book and it was sort of about halfway through. It was, yeah, it was the first summer of researching it um, that I had this sort of idea. And I remember being on the beach in Bosom, um, down that way and emailing my agent and being like, I think, we need to do a podcast of this because uh, nearly all of the women in the book are anonymized for, um, for obvious reasons yeah. to a certain extent. You know, we'll know their first name and maybe where they live. That's about it. Um, whereas, obviously, you can't do that if you're doing a podcast with people, as you know. And so <laughs> I, I'd done all this research and this writing and I realised that these conversations were so rich and so deep and that I could write about them to a certain extent, but you wouldn't get the capturing of people's voices. You wouldn't get the pattern of their speech. You wouldn't be able to have that real intimacy of conversation. And that was something that I really wanted to capture and to go into. And also very much in the spirit of the book, I wanted to show the relationship between women and gardening and women who weren't known for gardening. So that was sort of the spirit of the podcast. So I invited quite well-known women, who most of whom were not known for gardening, with the exception of Sarah Raven, who obviously is. The interesting thing with Sarah is that people might know her for her catalogues and for her uh, books, but people didn't realise that she used to be a doctor. 
for instance, or how her business started. So we spoke about that. But otherwise, the, uh, you know, designer Margaret Howe, Hill House Vintage Paula Sutton, Sophia Kocha, as I mentioned, Rukmini Iyer, who wrote the Rose books, um, Claire Rattanen, who is a writer, uh, Sally Vickers, who is a novelist. Yes. And these women all had a really meaningful connection with gardening in their lives but it wasn't necessarily something you'd know about. And as with the book, it was really important that we recorded in a growing space of their choice. So for the most part, that was their gardens, but with Sally, she chose Kew Gardens, which had been this really fascinating beat throughout from her kind of infancy all the way up uh, through three generations of raising children for her. And, um, and I worked with an all-female team. So I worked with Holly Fisher, who's an incredible producer, and Siobhan Watts, who's an amazing photographer. We commissioned a female artist to do the artwork and a female musician to make the music. We worked with a feminist studio. So the whole thing is this, like, awesome, powerful girl gang. And the response to it, I mean, we, we loved making it. And the interesting thing was, is travelling around as a team, it was a summer that, in hindsight, was actually very... Um, a huge summer of change for the three of us and we would see each other it was over the course of about five months in the end and every few weeks we'd catch up and another kind of slightly wild thing had happened in our lives and so we're all completely determined to do another season um just need to get a few ducks in a row um, need to have a baby <laughs> have a baby get some funding you know small things i'm sure it'll be fine things. yeah absolutely they'll be fine <laughs> Um, we'll probably add my mum to the podcast crew to look after the baby. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> useful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and the response has been wonderful, just in the sense that you know, as discussed, a lot of people have maybe not thought about why they grow before, and there's a lot of reasons as to why people do. And the podcast has been showing some of those reasons yeah no it's perfect absolutely perfect so any thoughts on future plans obviously a baby a baby maybe another podcast series yeah another book maybe coming out well wait and see but yeah there's a few there's a we'll see about that one and there's always there's always the desire yeah. and then yes let's give another but in in the immediate Roz um a few book events uh talking about why women grow but also mostly sitting in the garden seeing whether the landscaping of my dream is going to like emerge um and yeah motherhood wow that old chestnut so (laughs) we'll stick to those I can laugh hysterically on that one (laughs) and think okay mine are now 27 and 24 so it's yeah it's a journey Mm. it's Mm -hmm. a journey it's the same as growing really it's not perfect yeah. And you can only think right now, and it has lots of same attributes to gardening. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. I have perfectionist tendencies, but I with this, I have completely very low expectations of my capabilities. So I'm hoping that somewhere in between the two, it'll balance out. It won't be perfect. I have to tell you that. Yeah. And there'll be days when you'll be overwhelmed and days when you won't. And it'll be like gardening. Yeah. And just think about that day. You know how I think lots of mothers worry, you know, will you t- when will you walk and when will you talk and how will you do this and what will happen here? And is he behind his friends or above his friends? Or what about this and what about, oh, gosh, it's mm. exhausting. Mm. It's just about now, today. Yeah. He's not going to be wearing nappies when he's 18. I wouldn't worry about it. No. You know, it's kind of like, um, yeah, maybe I should do a, write a book on the reflections of motherhood when you're older. 
looking back on it like what sounds you like you've got it nailed yeah absolutely <laughs> I'd read it brilliant brilliant well Alice I want to really thank you for coming over today thank you for having me thank you I look forward to next week's episode. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate and review on your podcast app. We do have some wonderful free resources on our website at thecutflowercollective.co.uk. We also have two free Facebook communities, which we'd love you to join. For farmers or those who want to be flower farmers, we have Cut Flower Farming, Growth and Profit in Your Business, And our other free Facebook group is Learn with the Cut Flower Collective for those starting out on their flower journey. All of the links are below. I look forward to getting to know you all.